fill you in and kind of launch from there. Mark Nicewander, who is an associate pastor at Riverstone Church and who also uh, is the executive director of our, church, of our church planting network. About six, I think there's six or seven churches. I can't remember. I lose track. But actually there's six, about to be a seventh birthing in the next six months. And so, but anyway, he's the executive director. He's also the spiritual father of mine. And so he came last week and he did a great job. And I'm just going to need to hear this because we're launching from last week to get into this week. It's important you know where we were last week. Okay. So last Last week, he, he, he just he, he remembered 1 Corinthians 12, which is a, a chapter speaking about gifts of the Holy Spirit, specifically looking to get to tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, right, and all these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we celebrate the, this, the, the biblical fact that the gifts of the Spirit were all used by Jesus. He needed them to do ministry. He empowered his disciples with them, and disciples today still have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? And so we celebrate that fact. But he came and he said, 1 Corinthians 12 directly, obviously, leads into 1 Corinthians 13. And we talked about it. So this is a chapter you've heard a jillion times at weddings. It's the wedding chapter, right? That comes in and talks about love is patient. Love is kind, right? And husbands, love your wives, right? And so there's this great dynamic. But the idea that Mark was getting is that in, in its context, it's not talking at all about marriage. It's talking about the context of that love is a, listen, love is a necessary ingredient for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be effective. In fact, if you read, he kind of he alluded to, but I want to kind of just remind you of what he said. And one of the verses says this, if I have prophetic powers, this is first Corinthians 13, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I can speak in the tongues of angels and of men and have not love. I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal, which basically means I can have this really cool stuff, but I can be annoying and people won't want to be around me ever because I'm just weird and rude and not nice. And so what Mark said last week, and it was very, very simple, he said the gifts are dangerous and they're inadequate without the fruit. The idea being very simple. We, as followers of Jesus, and the message to the church here in Galatians is this. You minor in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and you major in the fruit. They're both vital. Anybody with a major in college and a minor would say they work their tail off for both, and they're both very important to them, but we do understand that one of them is more important. And so, so what Paul is saying in, in, in 1 Corinthians and, and what he gets at in Galatians is this very simple fact that, listen, we, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are vital to, to our ministry. We can't, we can't love well. We can't be effective. And listen, we can't be effective as the body of Christ if we are not functioning in every single one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that Jesus worked in. Because if he needed them, then by God, we need them. That's really important. If Jesus needed all the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be effective in ministry, then don't you think that we would? The only one we know he did, only, only one we know that we don't we don't know if he used or not was the gift of tongues. And then the interpretation of tongues. We used all the others. Every single one of them. 
This is not your husband. And the one at home is not your husband either. Right? Woman at the well. Prophecy. Get to the sermon. Word of knowledge. Right? Whatever. So he's using all of these gifts. But the fact is this. I think you all attest. Have you been around people who are very gifted and, and just not nice? And do you continue hanging out with them? No. Because you're not stupid. You're all really smart. People who are really gifted and really mean, they don't have friends for very long. And so Jesus is this beautiful mixture. We've been looking at the first, listen, we've been looking at the book of Luke for the last five months, believe it or not. And in that time, you've seen Jesus, what does he do? Expresses all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, moving in power, working in miracles. And moving majorly in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, so much so that when John describes himself in the Gospel of John, he says, And John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, ran ahead of Peter to get to the tomb. Isn't it interesting that John's interaction and the way that he defines himself in the context of relationship with Jesus revolves not around the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but around the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, whom I did great miracles with and saw legs grow and eyes opened, I ran ahead with the head of Peter. No, it was John, the disciple whom Jesus expressed the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because what Mark said last week was that the fruit is the expression of what, he, what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 13 of love. That love, the one word love equals love, all these love, joy, peace, patience. Listen, this is the fruit of what the Spirit of God brings to people who call themselves Christians. You experience and express. Everybody say experience and express. Okay, you experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. You all want that, don't you? It also means that you express love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience, and self-control. All of them. And so Jesus is coming in and Paul is coming in the moment and saying, all right. True followers of Jesus will have this beautiful mixture of the gifts and the fruit, but the fruit must be the things that you major in because that defines the life of Jesus. Listen, the gifts drew them in, but the fruit, man, the fruit got them. They didn't leave Jesus because he loved them and was so peaceful with them and was was so joyful with them. Like, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, the guy who 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 literally created joy i want the taste on that like i want to experience that i want to express that he expresses an experience he is the beautiful mixture We've been looking at this. This is the life of Jesus. And so Paul, we're going to go back to Galatians. Now I'm going to kind of look to the whole, just the whole chapter in like 10, 15 minutes. But in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul begins this conversation with the Galatians. Before he gets to the list of the fruit, he says, all right, let's stand over here first. Let's stand over here. And he makes this declarative statement. I would say it's kind of the linchpin of the whole epistle, right, of, of Galatians. And Paul says this. He's going to start here and end here. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So let's make sure we understand this mixture thing that's going on. This is what our life should express. You got that? On the same page? Okay. We are to express this beautiful mixture of fruit and the gifts. And Paul is going to come now and say, this is, what, this is how it happens. This is what it looks like. This is how you know where you stand in the context. Are you, are you expressing the fruit or not? He's going to give us this great help in figuring that out. He says, so the first thing we want you to see here in this, is this. Paul comes and says, all right, the follower of Jesus, the Christian, the person who calls himself a Christian, first must die to self. All their aspirations, right? This, this promoting self, being self-absorbed and self-focused. The idea of a Christian first is that there's a death to self. They get themselves out of the way. First, Romans 12:1. I urge you, brothers and sisters, therefore, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's the idea of every day I get up on the altar and die again to myself, my longings, my desires, so that Jesus's longings and desires can be expressed. Because the second thing we see in this, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives inside of me. I mean, guys, you got to get a, this is a pretty big deal. Jesus says, all right, I've called you to live my life in the mixture. I've called you to express this mixture of gifts and fruit in your life. But let's just be honest. Only Jesus can be Jesus. All right. Only Jesus can do the things of Jesus. What he says to us, the third piece is my primary action is to express faith and trust in Jesus. My responsibility is not to be Jesus. My, 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 my calling, my action is to express faith, trust, and belief and lean into Jesus as I follow His lead every day. I die to self, I get myself out of the way. I let Jesus be Jesus, and all my responsibility is, is in every moment of every day, in every situation, in every conversation, to trust Jesus with my job, to trust Jesus with my children, to trust Jesus with my family, to trust Jesus with my, my struggles, to trust Jesus with my insecurities, to trust Jesus with my fears, to trust Jesus with my anger, whatever it may be. So, guys, just kind of just so so to the men real quick and, and women. How many of you are are watching the NBA finals right now? How many of you? Yes, thank you. You can you can be proud of that. I'm watching. Right. I, I want Steph Curry to win. I do not want LeBron, I do not want LeBron to win another championship. I don't like him very much. Right. He's so full of himself. Sorry. I want them to win. I want Golden State. Come on. Right. So let's say in the moment. In the moment, right, we're standing, we're, uh, someone brings you into a basketball court, stands you at the top of the arc here for the three-point line and says, if you do not make a three-point shot, then I will, you will never see your wife and your family again. And he throws you a basketball. And you're like, oh, right? Because you know you, you're not that good. Let's be honest, right? You're not that good. But all this says, now you have, you have an opportunity here. Either you can take the shot or Steph Curry, the NBA MVP, can take the shot, who in practice this year hit 77 three-point shots in a row. Are you going to stay there and take the shot 
Or are you going to remove yourself from the place and let Steph Curry take the three-point shot? If you're not an idiot, Steph Curry's taking the shot for you. Right? Steph Curry's going to step in. He's going to go. He's, he's going to look at you and go, I got you. Boom. Right? Arc right there. Straight in. Hugging the wife and the kids and beating that guy up who said that. Right? Whatever happens. Okay? But here's the point. In that moment, what do you do? You recognize you can't be Steph Curry. So you remove yourself from the situation and you begin to pray in faith in Steph Curry's abilities that God gave him to make the three-point shot. You don't make the shot. He makes the shot. You're simply trusting and believing in his abilities to do it. And here's the idea that Paul's getting at. saying, listen, that's the Christian life. I'm dying to myself and getting myself out of the way so Jesus can take my three-point shots. No, so Jesus can be Jesus in me. But then he goes on to the rest of Galatians, chapter, into chapter 2, into 3, and into 4, and he basically says this. You guys, Galatians, you started off well. You trusted God. You followed Him. You believed in Him. But along the way, listen, along the way, Galatians, you got sidetracked. Scripture says you, you were bewitched. And you began focusing on the things that you can do. Focusing on fulfilling the law. Focusing on living life in your own strength. Focusing on yourself rather than fo- focusing on entrusting Jesus. Somewhere along the way, you made it say, yes, Jesus can save me, but I can be Jesus for the rest of my life. I can live in my own strength. I can do all the right things. I can cross all the, all the T's and dot all the I's and, be, and do the things that Jesus is calling me to do. I, I, can be, I can be good. I can be okay, right? And the idea is that Paul's saying, you can't. You're called to be a perfect mixture. Only Jesus is the perfect mixture. Therefore, only Jesus can be Jesus in you, so you need to get out of the way, but you haven't. You've taken the ball out of Steph Curry's hands and says, oh, I got this. And we're all going, no, you don't. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 5, does he, speaking of God, speaking of Jesus, does he who supplies the Spirit to you, does he who works miracles among you do so? By the works of the law, by the works that you do, but by the works you do in your own hands? Or do you do it by the hearing of faith? And the hearing is the, the belief, the trust, and the following Jesus. Paul's saying, you, you, this stuff doesn't happen. It's on the mixture because you do all the right things. No, it's, by, it's based on a person who steps in and says, it's by faith that I've been saved. And it's by faith that I live my life every day, leaning into, trusting, and following Jesus. And so the great thing that Paul does in chapter four is that in chapter five, he says, so so it's hard maybe sometimes to know, am I am, am I living by faith or, or am I trusting self? So he gives two great lists. It's really practical. He gives two very practical lists as kind of, kind of a litmus test to see what where, how you're doing, whether you're trusting self or you're trusting Jesus in faith. And so there's two sets of lists, and both of them are fruit. One is the fruit of trusting self, and one is the fruit of the Spirit, trusting Jesus in faith. And what we see in the moment is this. This beautiful comparison, so we can have an understanding of where we are, of a life lived by trusting flesh or a life of faith. 
Paul gets really practical. In fact, it was so practical, so simple to me. You know how you read the Bible, you think it has to mean more than it actually says. So you want to know the richest meaning. And, and when you try to get the richest meaning, you actually miss what's actually saying sometimes. So I'm looking at this going, this just seems too practical. Paul's created a list for a bunch of his friends because he's naming the issues in their life. And he's just saying, hey, you're, if you're doing these things then you're probably in your flesh. If these things are defining you, you're probably walking in the Spirit. So figure out which one it is. And so I'm like, that just seems too simple. So I went to the theologians in the commentaries, right, who studied the Bible all their life, and they said, said, yes, and here are two lists that Paul creates in the church in Galatians to be able to figure out, are they walking in the Spirit, are they walking in the flesh? It's like, ding, 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 yes, I'm not stupid, right? And so it's like, this is awesome. So he gives us two lists. Now here's the thing. This is where it gets uber practical. If the things on list A in the flesh more define you than the gifts of the fruit of the Spirit, then there's some room for growth. Because it means that you are now walking in your flesh. I want you to recognize very clearly Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 23, Paul is speaking to Christians. He's speaking to church people. This is an epistle, a letter written to a bunch of Christians in Galatia. It's not unbelievers. It's not pagans, right? It's not these non-Christians. He's writing to believers. Writing to believers who had believed in faith and who had become bewitched. Who had been turned away from what they believed before. All right, ready? Here's the list. Here's the list. The list of the works of the flesh are evident. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, going on. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Don't be uncomfortable. It's in the Bible, right? Sexual immorality. You know what that means? Pornography, having sex outside of marriage, um, adultery, right? We have, uh, we have impurity, which is specifically impurity of thought, impurity of deed. We have sensuality. You know what that means, right? Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, which is irreconcilable hostility and hatred, strife, kind of an extreme selfishness, which leads to rivalry, jealousy, Fits of anger, like the person who goes from like simmer to boil for no reason like that all the time. Rivalries where you literally, it literally, because you're competitive, it separates you from a person or an individual. Dissensions, like disunity or divisions, like that just run rampant in the church. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He's saying, this is just the beginning of the list. You know what else you would add to the list? Each of you have your own thing you'd add to the list. I want to go back through this because here's the thing. I'll be honest with you. I sit in church with people all the time and listen to conversations and I hear all this crap happen in people's lives. Sexual morality. I mean, good Lord have mercy. Look at the culture we live in and we've all been shaped by it. See it all the time. Idolatry. Like, I don't worship idols. Yes, you do. What do you try to find satisfaction in other than Jesus? Like when you had a hard day, what do you turn to? Do you turn to Jesus or something else? Because if you turn to something else, it's an idol. 
Sorcery. Well, I'm not a sorcerer. I'm not Harry Potter. Are you kidding me, Steve? Look at me. I have no hat and cape and glasses. I don't have a wand in my back pocket. No sorcery. It's when I try to use my own power to influence and woo other people into something I want selfishly. It's witchcraft. It's sorcery. You're like, uh. Enmity. Irreconcilable hostility. Do you have a broken relationship with, with someone right now that you are maybe the culprit, or maybe they're the culprit, but you have not forgiven them? Well, then he's saying you're in your flesh. Strife. Extreme selfishness. Do you speak more about what you're not getting from people, or are you more thoughtful about what you can give away? If you think more about what you're not getting from people and what they need to do for you and that they need to stroke your back and make you feel better about yourself, then you have strife. Jealousy. Are you jealous of someone else's husband, wife, children, whatever their life, how much money they have, a car they drive, right? Fits of anger. Do you know anybody who blah, 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 they're living their life and all of a sudden they just fly off the handle all the time? They're in their flesh. Rivalries. Dissensions. Let's just press pause. Dissensions. Disunity. Division. This is why 90% of the churches that crumble, crumble. Because somebody gets their feelings hurt inside the church, and instead of going to that person, they get in their flesh and talk to everybody else about it. Do you know why I know this? Because people come to me and talk to me about you. And here's the deal. I know that you good people talk about me. Because people come to me and tell me all the time. Do you know what so-and-so said about you? I don't know. What else, what else did somebody say about me? What other expectation did I not meet of somebody that I'm completely unaware of? I can only be held responsible for what I'm aware of. If I'm unaware of it, then you need to make me aware. I sat with somebody one day. This was years ago. And they said to me, Steve, we're leaving the church. I said, okay, why? Because we're not as good of friends with you as this couple is. And you've never had us over for dinner. So I'm leaving the church. So I punched him. No, I'm just kidding. I'm like, I looked at him. I'm like, are you really? Because I have friends. I'm friends with you. They have kids that are my. I, mean, I, I felt like I didn't look. I didn't have to justify, but I did. I'm like, their kids are our best friends with our kids. That's why we hang out. We haven't had them for dinner. We've just gone and done some things with them. And I've never been invited to your house for dinner. You can go ahead and go. Because I don't want that. No, I didn't say that. I said, listen, man. I said, I'm not going to apologize. I did nothing wrong. I can't meet your unspoken, unmet expectations because they're unrealistic. But doesn't that happen all the time? In your relationships you have with people? Disunity and divisions because someone hurts your feelings and they're completely unaware of it, but you don't tell them. You tell everybody else about how they hurt your feelings. You're like, what's going on? My gosh, this is disunity. Francis Franchipan calls it witchcraft in the church. Because you were going around slandering people. Stop slandering. Because when people slander you in my presence, I say stop. I don't know if I say shut up. I say stop. 
if you have an issue with them, you go tell them because they're completely unaware. Divisions and disunities, envy, drunkenness, orgy. Listen, do any of these things sound like you? And if so, Paul would say you are in danger because you are in sin, because you are so self-focused that Jesus can't do anything in you and through you. People pray all the time, people want Jesus to move. Then repent of being in your flesh and in sin. Own your stuff. Seriously. Because the fruit of a person who is trusting in, leaning into Jesus every day, and faith being expressed, then in every conversation, love is present. In every relationship, in every situation, no matter it's hard or easy, joy is there. No matter what's going on in your life, peace defines every interaction and relationship that you're in. Patience defines you. With your children and with your spouse and with your boss. Kindness. When, listen, you heard it, killing them with kindness. I mean, listen, Jesus was kind to people who were beating him and putting him on a stinking cross. That's what he says. To the limit to which I showed the fruit of the Spirit, it's the limit you are to show it. He showed all of these on the way to the cross. Stop being self-absorbed, Jesus Paul is saying here. Stop being so self-focused. Stop having dissensions. Stop having rivalries. Stop thinking it's okay to hate people and be mean and live separated from people. That is sin, and you cannot have a mixture. There will be no fruit in your life. There will be no gifts, and you'll be miserable. If you're miserable, then you're probably in the flesh. Because This is what happens. All of them down the line. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Steve, what do we do? Because I'm like, like all of us, all of us have these moments of being in our flesh, right? We want to be a perfect mixture. Galatians 6, 4 says, but let each one of us test his own work. Let him examine, let her examine herself. Galatians 6, 4. I love this. He's saying, here are these things. Now go examine yourself. Where are you in the midst of these? So what I want to say is this. My discipline in life is that in every, listen, in every conversation and every situation of life, I do my best to examine my actions and to be self-aware of my responses to people. I'm not perfect at this. But what it looks like is this. I sit there and say, okay, Jesus, I just had this interaction. So, God, I'm going to be honest with myself. That's number one. Be honest with ourselves. Be honest with yourself. Sit down in every context of every conversation, whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with your children, whether it's with your boss, whether it's with the person in the line at Home Depot, whether it's in the person you're behind in the line, whatever, in, in, in traffic, whatever it may be. You say how you examine self. And you're honest with yourself. Because here's the deal. I don't know about you, but I'm really, really good at defending myself and justifying my response and actions. I can make you believe that my reaction is warranted. 
well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said. Do you know how much I hurt in the midst of all of this? Whatever it may be. But you have to be honest with yourself. Second thing, let Jesus be honest with you. If you have not felt convicted by some of your actions that are described in your flesh, then you're not letting Jesus actually put his finger on the things he wants to put his fingers on. The idea of Jesus, you can you can talk about anything in life except this relationship. Jesus, you can talk about everything in life except my money. Jesus, you can talk about anything in life, about whatever it may be. Right. Rich young ruler. I've done everything. And Jesus goes, mm, take all your possessions and give them to the poor. No, not that thing. Let Jesus be honest with you in the moment, right? Self-awareness, self-examination, saying, Jesus, would you lead me? Would you lead me into awareness? Because I'm so blinded by self, I don't even see my anger, even though my wife tells me I have it. That I'm so blinded, Jesus, that I think it's okay to live disunified and to talk negatively about people all day long and never actually confront them and tell them where I am. Right? Church, listen, people leave churches all the time because they're so in their flesh, they can't even see Jesus putting his finger on stuff. The third thing, you have to apologize willingly. In other words, we have to repent. We have to repent. We have to tell God we are sorry because, listen, if I speak against Brian Maselli right there, which I have not, don't worry, bro. If I speak against Brian Maselli right here, and I go to the Lord, and I've spoken and I have not shared with him, God will put his finger and says, you're in sin for speaking about him to other people. You need to repent before me. You need to apologize and make that right with him. We apologize. And the last thing is we live by faith. Galatians 6, 8 through 10. Live by faith. Let's live by faith. For the one who sows to in his own flesh, or who invests into his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. If I invest into my flesh and all of these pieces, then corruption will be birthed inside of me. But the one who sows and invests into the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. He will express the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I love how practical this is. So let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap or we will will receive if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who who are of the household of faith. I mean, how practical does that get? I don't know about you, man. It gets on my toes. I mean, literally yesterday we went we went one and one in our softball games yesterday, and we lost our last game four to three because this little girl sat on third base with one out, and I said, "Tag, you got to tag, tag up." You know what that means? I said, "Explain it." You come back to home, take the third. As soon as she catches the ball, as soon as she hits her glove, you run off, right? And the ball hits her outfitter's glove with one out, and she just takes off. She gets halfway and stops and runs back. And I go, I literally fall down on my knees going, no! Okay, hold on, hold on, you know? And she's looking at me going, oh! 
know, right? And I'm like, there was no fruit of the Spirit in that one, Steve. Good job, right? And I'm like, oh, and I'm like, this, I'm like, I'm like, oh, kicking myself. You read those moments, right? Just kicking yourself. I'm like, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I had to go in and say, hey, listen, it's not your fault. Listen, it's not a big deal. I should have, I should have explained that. But I mean, I was totally in that moment, and just God went right here, right? Because I'm out, I'm coaching softball. I enjoy it, kind of, right? But what I really enjoy, I enjoyed making a difference in the lives of these girls and every single parent who almost texts me every day. I told them, we sat in our game yesterday, I said, guys, I can't be here tomorrow because I'm preaching on Galatians 5. Pray, I pray I'm not terrible. Right? Okay, Coach Steve, you know. I'll never forget one time I was leaving a Georgia game. Georgia won, praise God. Leaving the Georgia game, down the Capitol, this Capital One Bowl. I'm leaving, <clears throat> all excited. I get in line. You know how when you have like merging traffic coming out of parking lots and it's the, jo- the, 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 the jockeying, right? Jockeying for position. And you're like this, not really looking over because like just to make that like, I'm going to go. I feel like I need to see you, right? And so I'm sitting there and I'm like this and I'm like this, you know, and I'm like, all of a sudden... This car moves, and I just gun it as he guns it, and we like barely almost hit, right? And so I, I just do what every good Christian does. I roll down the window. Dude, what are you doing, you idiot, right? He starts just going after me, and we're going back and forth. And, and, and I'm like, die! And all of a sudden, I mean, as, as clear as they hear the Lord say, stop being a jerk. And I, I literally went, I went ah! Ah! and I go, hey, he's like, what do you want? I said, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's like, what? I said, I'm sorry, dude. I'm sitting here. The Lord just said, I'm being a jerk. I need to apologize. Forgive me. For bi- Please, would you go ahead of me? And he, go, he goes, oh, God, I'm so sorry, too. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's a great moment, right? And they were like, go dogs, go dogs, go ahead. Like, no, you, that's all the moment, right? It's hilarious. But I mean, that's what it is. I mean, like, that's such a practical moment. It's like that in every situation of life, every conversation, living in self-awareness, being honest with myself, letting, listen, you can tell Jesus no all day long and he will stop speaking to you somewhere along the way. That's the danger. When you stop being convicted of sin, it means that Jesus has turned you over to your sin and he has stopped speaking. You have to invite him to speak again. So in this moment, we're going to go ahead and worship. We're going to have a time of you being beginning to be honest with yourself. Some of you, your honesty, listen, some of you have gotten into the flesh because you've been so wounded. You got wounded by someone in the past and that wound has begun to fester because healing hasn't happened. And you can't almost like you can't help but be selfish. And so God wants to move this morning and bring healing, bring restoration, so he can then put his finger on you because he doesn't, a bruised reed he will not crush, a smoldering wick he will not put out, which basically means those who are struggling and weak, he's not going to crush you under the weight of things. He wants to bring healing and restoration, but in the process, by his love and his mercy and his grace, he says, stop this, it's literally killing you in the flesh. And some of you this morning, I mean, I say all of us, need to begin a journey. Figure out where we are in this and let Jesus put his finger on things. Why? So that Jesus can be Jesus in us. 
so we can move out of the way and make some three-point shots. Because some of us have been missing three-point shots for the last ten years. Let's stop being mean Christians that people don't want to be around. Let's pray. Father, as we go into a time of ministry, I pray, Lord, that the weight of your glory would come with compassion and grace. And that you would begin, Lord, to bring healing. Just begin to bring restoration. Begin to set us free. Father, you come this morning not to condemn, but to call us to life. Help us to hear your voice this morning. Amen. We have ministry teams available uh, this morning. Here's what I want you to do this morning. I need you, you need for yourself, to look at this list and figure out where you are on the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit. And to begin to be honest. Begin to put your finger on some things. And then somewhere along the way, I'm going to ask and invite every single person to come. I want every person to do this in some form or fashion if you're comfortable. We have offering baskets here. And if you've come this morning to give an offering, you can do that at this time. We have communion available. And, if, and you can come. But I want to ask that somewhere in the midst of worship, you say, Jesus, I come to give you my heart. We've talked about this before in the Ghanaian church. They will literally get some worship going on. They'll dance forward. And a lot of them are living in poverty, have nothing to give. So they come and say, Jesus, I don't have anything. But what I give, which is most vital, I give to you. I literally watch as these 80-year-old women, man. They're dancing with the joy of the Lord, just like up and down some aisles, right? Grabbing my hand and spinning me around, right? And coming up, and they just come up, and I've watched their hand. They get high, and they put their hand like this, and nothing comes out. And I asked the missionary, what is this? He goes, oh, man, they have nothing to give, but they're giving what they have. They're giving their heart and their life to him every Sunday. This morning, that's where we are. I want to invite you to come and make it a, not just, oh, Steve said to do it. No, I want to make a declarative moment saying, Jesus, I don't want to live for my flesh anymore. I don't want to bow down to the whims of the enemy. I want to live for Jesus, and I want to express the fruit. I want to express the gifts everywhere that I go. So you respond as the Lord leads. The altar is open to come and pray. A lot of people in the first service come and pray. You're more than welcome to do that. But please respond this morning. Let me say yes. Let's respond as the Lord leads.